everyone, welcome back to another episode of Opposites React. Today is Wednesday, February the 17th, and this is episode number 56. I'm Tyler, and I am here with Sarah. How are you? I am peachy keen. Excellent. <laughs> um, well, I told you uh, earlier, we kind of talked off mic here about what the plan tonight was. You don't actually know the actual topic yet. I just told you it's, I think I told you it was movie-based, didn't I? Yes. Okay, so you just don't know the full gist of it, but we'll do our usual morning, or not morning, our usual <laughs> uh, opening spiel here. Um, quick thoughts, what you've been playing, what you've been watching, anything cool happened the last couple of days? <laughs> um, okay, I, I can answer those three. Sure. Um, I've pretty much just been playing Atelier Ryza exclusively. I have no idea how far I am, but still loving it. It's, it's just very differently paced from the other ones, like you can choose what to do. To either go gathering or just put a whole bunch of story quests in a row, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, just enjoying the just the the ease of playing that game. Just it's just fun. Um, we watched together a show. I still don't know the name of. Oh, the Ricky Gervais show yeah. on Netflix. Uh, it's called Afterlife. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we you've watched it before, and I yes. believe we've talked about it here before. Briefly, yeah. Um. So we watched that. We binged, not binged, it's only like 12 only, episodes. Uh, yeah, 12 well, yeah, so episodes. two seasons, six episodes each. Yeah, yeah, 12 episodes in total, they're about half an hour each. So it's not very hard to get no. through the whole series in a couple sittings if you want. Yeah. yeah, so we did. Yep. Um. I, I, every time I watch a show and it has sad scenes and I don't cry, I feel very heartless. <laughs> yeah, we all know this already. <laughs> so, but... I have some problems with the show. I don't... Okay, I'm just going to give like a quick gist of what it is mm. uh, in case you don't remember. So, um, Ricky Gervais' character, Tony? Yes. Yes, okay. His wife, Lisa, passed away from cancer. Um, and he was very close to committing suicide, but he only stayed alive because he of his dog. He had to feed the dog. <laughs> so, um, he spends the whole first season pretty much just being angry with the world. Um, and it kind of gets better you know and then the second season kind of just has him continuing life sad but still growing as a person um and i i did like it but there was a point where i thought it was just getting too angry and i was starting to dislike his character more than sympathize with him um and i do have a problem with the ending of season two um but if you it's a it's not an easy watch i would call either like it has some really emotional like the, especially the end of the second season is very emotional for sure mm-hmm. Um, so, and if you can handle stuff, there's a lot of suicide talk and such and dark subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you want to watch that, it is, it, I assume to most people, it's very emotionally draining. draining. Yeah, yeah, that's a good word. Um, but yeah, I still would recommend watching it if, uh, if you're into that kind of stuff. Uh, and the third thing that happened, I guess the Nintendo Direct happened today. So like, it's been a while, but Nintendo usually will do these directs where they just kind of bombard you with games that are coming out um and the big stuff wasn't for me there was a couple cool things in there like the legend of mana is getting a remaster um and then the people that make octopath traveler are making not a sequel but like another game in that in that i don't even know it's a tactical rpg where the other one was turn-based but yeah uh so those are things to be excited for bravely defaults next week that's about it that's my life so far more ariza Beat Riser to play Bravely Default. How about you, Tyler? Well, uh, 
I was gonna say I haven't played anything new, but actually I am playing something new. I'm playing a game with Lucas right now on the PS5, um, but I won't talk about that yet because I think we're close to finishing it. So I'll probably talk about it next week. Mm. Uh, the game's called Concrete Genie. It's it a, was a PS Plus game. Yes, it was a PlayStation Plus free game. Um, it's a short little indie platformer. I don't know, I'll talk about it in a, at a later date, but it's it, it's interesting. Um, and obviously still playing my usual rotation which is uh apex legends and it'll be the show 20 maybe i'll throw a little need for speed in there mm-hmm. um uh apex legends lately has been very frustrating for me and i'm trying to not get angry playing it and a lot of it, a lot of it is angry anger at myself i feel like i'm not playing well or i get frustrated too easily with my teammates and then i just it just ruins the rest of my matches that day but like it's for, for example like today i played um I, don't know, I played for maybe an hour or so after work before dinner and didn't have had a couple of good games, a couple of really bad ones, but that last game I had before I got off for dinner it was like amazing. And it's like it just that's the thing about that game is you can have bad match after bad like, like almost like a dozen bad matches, but then they have that one match where everything just clicks. And in this case it it wasn't even like a typical match. Like I we, we, we land my team landed, full team of three. They got down right away, they both left. I was by myself. I'm like, whatever. So I just like literally ran around this one building fighting a team of three all by myself and I kept knocking them down and they would keep getting revived. I keep knocking them down again. And just I don't know, it's just like I ended the whole match with like only two kills but I had like almost twelve hundred damage. Mm-hmm. It was just fun just like, I don't know, knocking people down and running away. I was playing as Horizon so it's easier to like run away and Okay. And sort of like get high ground and everything. But I don't know, a game like that is just you know but uh yeah i, I just like I, I mentioned something on last week's podcast or maybe the week before no last week that uh i had a really good start to the season mm-hmm. like 10 wins in the first week i only have a couple wins since then so it's definitely slowed uh slowing down it's for kind me. of the trend for you though it is yeah because i mean i don't know it's just yeah the the matchmaking is frustrating sometimes like actually i loaded into a match with two other guys on my team who were like the kind of teammates that I like are usually terrified of. Like they both had like 40,000 mm. kills and they were obviously like a team of two. Like they knew each okay. other. So I'm like, okay, so I'm just gonna try and keep up with them. Right. And they were okay. Like we, we didn't win the match. They played pretty well, but like, I don't know. I just, and of course, like when you're playing with those, you can expect the rest of the lobby to be oh, superstars yeah. as well. So I was just like terrified. I was going to get, <laughs> I was going to like a fool in front of these guys. But actually I held my own pretty well. We, we ended up losing the match, but it wasn't that bad, but um, I don't know. It's just, I prefer playing with friends, obviously, or these people I can communicate with. Yeah. Just makes, even if you lose that way. Honestly, you know what's funny about Apex Legends is, like, sometimes when you're just screwing around and not even really trying that hard, those are the games you do the best at. Because your mind's just free, and you're not thinking too hard and not overanalyzing everything. As long as you just... Nothing about the stats. Right. <laughs> let your let your hands take over instead of your brain, mm-hmm. but... I don't know. And uh, it'll be the show 20. It's actually funny. Today, they actually um, sort of revealed their last... Nobody thought they were actually going to really update the schedule from now until April because they figured, like, oh, they're probably done with 20. They moved on to 21, obviously, right? But they actually did come out today and give another update for the next month for, uh, like, um, you know, new events. Uh, there's, like, there's no new Conquest stuff. There's no new rank rewards or anything, but they are going to... They did bring back a new event yesterday. Not new. Like, it's a returning event, but, like, a new stage of the event. And then, But I think they said as of March 2nd, I believe is when uh, the final, they call it like the forever event because basically it's just like mm. it's one singular event. It runs from, like essentially run forever. You're going to keep playing 20, but for most people, they're going to play it from March 2nd until when 21 comes out in April, right? Um, so hopefully some good rewards for that people are looking forward to. But um, And also, but also the, on the schedule too, which I'm very looking forward to, obviously, is the test next week. The uh, oh, right. technical test yes. starts on the 23rd. We have like a week and a, we have pretty much a week. Oh, well, yeah, about a week too. So that starts, so that'll be fun, hopefully. 
Um, yeah, looking forward to that. So, anyways, uh, before we get into the topic, I know we did get an email. Yes. I see you have it in front of you on the screen here. So, we got an email last week from Daniel. And uh, uh, I'm trying to remember actually what our question was about, Rev. It was Blue Jays related. So, well, um, who's your character? Character. player. So, Dan said, uh, Dan says in the email, Hey, Sarah, I hate agreeing with Tyler, but Kawasaki, it was a little gimmicky. We're talking about Munonori Kawasaki here for those that don't the know. The best Blue Jays player. No. <laughs> Gimmicky for sure. Uh, Dan says, I think the theme of him is I do Jeremy Lin. And you didn't know who that was. Jeremy Lin is a basketball player. Okay. His I feel like I know was. the name, but don't know I mean, why. I think, I think he's still in the NBA, Jeremy Lin. I have to look that up. But yeah, I, I can see where Dan gets that comparison from, though. Uh, now, Dan says his favorite Blue Jays player in the pa- in the last 10 years is uh, Bo Bichette. Which, okay. for maybe those who haven't watched baseball the last few years, he's definitely one of the Jays' best young players. One of the Hopefully one of the best up-and-coming shortstops in the major right. leagues. Hope he turns into a superstar in a couple of years. But um, yeah, so he poses the question back to us. He says, who is your favorite current and previous Blue Jay for both of you? Do you have an answer? Do you want me to go first? You go first. Um, I will say current Blue Jay. Um, mine is kind of skewed because obviously my pick is more probably based on MLB The Show 20 than oh what than based, than based on what the guy has <laughs> done in real life. But I think cause it's so easy, there's so many players on the Jays you can name. Like obviously everybody knows Boba Shev, Vlad Guerrero Jr., mm-hmm. Lourdes Gurriel. But for me, the one I'm most curious about, uh, or my most favorite, when I say most favorite, is probably, again, I'm basing this off of the video game, but also his potential, I think, is Nate Pearson. Okay. He's pretty much, I'm hoping that in the next couple of years, he'll be the, the ace that the Jays really need. Mm-hmm. Like, they have Ryu right now, which is great for their current ace, but he's also, like, in his early 30s, I think, and Pearson's probably, like, I don't know, 22 or 23. He's a baby. I can't, he's a baby, but the guy throws, like, 100, 101. Mm. He's ba- I, I think in a couple of years, he could basically be, like, the next, like, Jacob deGrom. Wow. Like, or maybe like, like like what Noah Syndergaard was sort of projected to be before he kind of fell off a bit. Syndergaard was supposed know. to be that guy, from, but he, he didn't turn out that way. But, um, yeah, I think Pearson's awesome. And for a uh, uh, previous Blue Jay, um, my pick here is actually going back to, like, the, I was going to say 90s. I don't even think. I think it's, well, late 90s, early 2000s. Just because I remember watching the games all with my grandma and stuff. Okay. My favorite player at the time was uh, previous Blue Jay was Carlos Delgado. Yeah, for sure. He was awesome. Same, I think he's definitely, he's definitely one of the ones that no one really talks about. Like, when people talk about previous best Blue Jays, you know, they talk obviously. Well, obviously, in the last ten years, you're probably going to talk about like Jose Batista, Edwin yeah. Encarnacion, maybe Josh Russell, Donaldson. maybe Russell Martin, Josh Donaldson, um, like Roy Halladay, obviously mm, yeah. stuff like that. Um, or then you go back, obviously before way before that, you got like Joe Carter and and you know Roger Clemens for a couple of years, um, Tony Fernandez, guys like that. But uh, I think Delgado gets overlooked a lot, unfortunately. Sean Green, another good old Blue Jay. But anyways, um, sorry, yours. Oh, you didn't mention yours. <laughs> um. Yeah, other than Kawasaki. <laughs> okay, fine. We know that's your fine. That's your favorite in the last um, ten years. And yeah, what about? No, no, no. Oh. I, like, oh, we need a current one then for you. Well, so. yeah, but I haven't been watching baseball all that long. No, that's true. Not yeah, exactly. So your your expertise only was back probably like what six seven yeah, years at most. or so. Yeah, like so. I started getting into it like when um, Bautista and Donaldson the and Edwin yeah, were yeah exactly. exactly like when they were the cool thing like the bandwagon. Um, so. Like, out of all that, I still love Mark Burley. I just love his presence. Because obviously, you can tell how much I love Kawasaki. I'm more of a personality. I favor personality over play. So, I think Burley, he was a great pitcher, but I think he was also a big personality that the clubhouse needed. Well, he was definitely like a veteran personality. Yeah. When you say big personality, I mean, I, you make him seem like someone like a David Ortiz. Sorry, who's like, a, like Burley was a quiet yes. like leader. He wasn't exactly. really a... That's what outs- I meant. Yeah. That's what I meant. Right. I, I get that's why you like his personality. Because he's not the showboating, you know, no. loudmouth type. But, yeah. 
Um, I'm currently. I don't. I haven't watched. I didn't. Don't know if I watched any of the Blue Jays last year. Probably. I mean, to be honest, I didn't have it on much either. In the house, just because the way the season went, it was kind of weird. I, I watched more of the highlights than watching the yeah. games live and stuff. But um, other than the, like the playoff run they had, but yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and I've been falling off since like everybody that I knew left, and I don't know any of the new names anymore. Oh, like yeah. I was happy when Hap came back. So I'm like, I know you. <laughs> I think yeah, I think like for someone who like feel like you who's like a lapsed fan, let's call it, um, who's maybe not as familiar with the roster, I think this year's a great jumping on point for most fans because not only do you have you're hoping these guys will take that next step, like Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, um, maybe Teoscar Hernandez, mm, if he yeah, stays yeah, consistent, yeah. that kind of thing. But like or Vlad Guerrero having let's call it a bounce back season. <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah, and then obviously now that you know they've added George Springer, who is yeah. a huge addition to us and hopefully he's He's the um, catalyst that this offense needs just to uh, – like, the offense was good last year, but maybe we just need some more consistency. But, yeah, I mean, like I said, base, baseball pitchers and catchers reported today for the first time for, for every team. So it's it's finally it's starting, finally starting to happen. We're, we're less than a month and a half away from the season starting, April 1st. So so they say. It'll happen. Whether it happens with fans or not. That's, that's April up. Fools. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, topic tonight is going to be – Again, I always give everybody a warning on this in case they want to tune out or movie, this doesn't interest movie, them. It's a movie-related. We are going to talk tonight about a specific director, a director that I think, um, not that I think, that I know is very polarizing for a lot of people. Um, and I don't personally lo- love him as a director. I think he's talented. I think he has, very, he has a very specific... His films all feel the same and for a reason, which I'll get into later, but... Um, I mean, financially, he obviously he makes he makes money for the companies, which is why he keeps getting work. Because most people would say his movies are, for the most part, not critically loved. So why does he keep getting so much work? Because they make money. But yes, you got to guess. Okay, go ahead. Is it Zack Snyder? Wow, good guess. Yes, I, didn't think you were I gonna did get it. it. Wow, okay, I did it. You're welcome. Cameron. Now, when I say <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> sucker punch. Right, we'll talk about that in a bit. <laughs> Maybe you've already answered my next question, but I was going to say when I say Zack Snyder to you, what does that mean to you? Batman vs Superman. So that's the first thing that comes into your head when I think is it Justice League, Zach- the Snyder cut. Okay. Him being off the project because of family reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's about it. I don't know anything else he's done. Okay. I probably do know of it, but how did he get his start? Do you remember? It wasn't Sucker Punch. No, <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, so let me just bring up a quick synopsis here. So actually, I mean, I think he's a life synopsis. <laughs> He's uh he's in his mid fifties. I think he might be fifty four now, um, but he's basically been directing for um about fifteen years or so, give or take. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a he had a pretty consistent output for a while there, in, in the at the end of the two uh, thousands, going into the twenty tens, he was doing film pretty much every year, and then eventually he kind of uh, petered off a bit. But basically, he he got to start actually. Not necessarily in cinema, but just in, in in entertainment in general. He did music videos a lot in the nineties, oh, mostly in the nineties. I think he did last time he did one was like back in '09. He did like a My Chemical Romance one, I think. I don't remember the exact song. It's not unusual. It's actually happened a few times where directors, where people who have done music videos have transitioned into Hollywood. David Fincher was another prime example. Wait, what music video did he do? I don't. You want to look it up? No. I'm okay. Curious. I, I don't. I know just, off the top of my head, I, I don't know. I didn't but know if he knew. Yeah. He, he did for sure. Like so. And I guess it makes sense when you think about music videos. Obviously, um, most of them have a pretty great visual style, and obviously have to do with the way they're edited and the way they're shot. Obviously, like cinematography well, wise. So yeah, there's either pandering videos or actually like well directed videos. Right. So 
Anyways, um, when I think of Zack Snyder, when someone says, what does Zack Snyder mean to you? The first thing that pops into my head is great. he's a great visual storyteller. He's always more concerned with the visuals than the characterization and the plot, in my opinion. He, I, I feel like he, when he storyboards, he makes scenes that are going to look awesome. Like, his trailers are always amazing. Mm. Like, even even knowing now that I don't like most of his films, when I see a trailer for his movie, still, I'm going to be like, oh, that looks good. Well, of course it does, because it's a Zack Snyder trailer. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me if he edits the trailers himself, or at least mm. he has input on them, because they're always good. And he always probably knows which shots to pick for the trailer to make it look visually amazing. Well, trailers are really music videos. Well, yes and no. They're short music but, videos. You know, but trailers... I don't agree with that comparison, but <gasps> my point was visually. Like that's what I think about when I think of him. Okay. Um, I don't usually like to rewatch most of his movies unless I'm uh, unless for the visual aspects. Like if his stuff's on TV, I might leave it on in the background type of thing. But he's not the kind of guy I want to sit down and like, get invested in his movies because they don't grab me the way that. Because again, he doesn't. In my opinion, doesn't. His strong point is not the writing and the characters, and unfortunately, he does tend to write or at least co-write most of the screenplays so i mm-hmm. feel like that's the problem <laughs> but basically i'm gonna go with the list here so and here you're gonna see an, an obvious trend here with why i think what my issue is with his films so he started out in 2004 his first major film was um dawn of the dead which was actually it's a zombie movie yeah. now it was a remake of a very popular deck is of the exact same name remake of another uh, zombie film from the night from 1978 called dawn of the dead as well okay. so literally just a remake it wasn't like shot for shot or anything. Like he, he definitely changed up some aspects of the film, but the basic premise was the same. It's, it's basically about a, people, a bunch of people trying to survive a uh, zombie apocalypse in, in present days, so like 04 in the 2000s. Um, uh, it, a good example for you, a good comparison for you would be basically Dawn of the Dead is like Dead Rising the movie because it, okay. it literally takes place in a mall. Like oh, cool. pe- people hold up in a mall and then the zombies are all attacking and they have to like, defend themselves or you know mm-hmm. so i i've only seen it a couple of times um i think it is or was on netflix recently so you can check it out if you want it, it's good like it's it's a good zombie film it's um is the original better oh for sure i mean okay. the, the originals <laughs> are like george a romero the, the old uh, zombie films of his were amazing okay um especially given the time they were shot in yeah i mean this one's good um but nothing special but anyway it, it got his foot in the door obviously for hollywood right now, um, like I said, I wrote a little thing beside each title here, a little bracket, to basically state that with the exception of one film in his entire filmography so far, there's only one film in here that was actually an original screenplay. The rest of these are all adapted from other source material, usually okay. comics, books, yep. other... So, like, again, this was a remake of another yep. film. His next film, the one that... Um, I would say before he started doing superhero stuff over the last seven years, so the one he was most known for, obviously, was probably 300. The, you did 300? Yeah. Oh, okay. Didn't know that. Yeah, that's the... War. Well, Gerard Butler. Oh, yeah. That's too. sort of like got Gerard, that got Gerard Butler's yeah. foot in the door in Hollywood as well. That was a huge movie for him to launch his career. That's but, the one where your girlfriend's naked. You're thinking about the sequel of 300. Oh, yes, we're talking the original 300 here. <laughs> he uh, did the sequel then? He didn't do the sequel. Okay. I believe he produced or co-wrote it, but anyways. Um, the 300, yeah, a story of like the Spartans, you know, mm. King Leonidas and that whole... He, I think, I think he took some creative liberties with the way the actual mythical like story played out. He, he didn't, but again, this movie. I remember when Three Hundred came out. I, I don't think I ever saw Dawn of the Dead when that came out back in 04. Three Hundred was my first introduction to Zack Snyder, and I remember at the time seeing the trailer for it and being like, "Wow, this movie looks like freaking amazing visually. Like the shots he had in this film and the way he used color and 
Now, but here's where the trend for him started to be, where I noticed something in the film. I thought, oh, it's kind of cool, but then it became gimmicky very quickly was his use of slow motion in fight scenes. That's definitely a thing of his that he likes to do (laughs) a lot. And like I said, it made sense in 300. It fit the the theme of the movie, but then afterwards, and then some of the other films he did, I'm like, okay, the slow motion thing kind of gets old. But anyways, so 300 was also uh, adapted from a comic, right? Okay, yeah. So... Uh, then in 2009, he made Watchmen. Oh, right. Which is also adapted from a comic. Yes. So, and, and again, Watchmen is a hard... I haven't read the comics, but what I've heard, the source material is very hard to pull off. Okay. They did recently kind of reboot, like HBO did a Watchmen series, yes. which I think is still going on. And I've heard that's actually pretty good. Um, now, the movie... I remember the first time I saw the Watchmen movie in 2009, I really didn't like it. Um, but I watched it again a couple more times and I started to appreciate it a bit more. One thing I will say for his, for Snyder's movies, and I, I'm sure this doesn't have anything to do with him because most obviously directors don't usually cast their own movies unless you're like Martin Scorsese or something mm-hmm. or Christopher Nolan who just works with the same people every movie anyways, pretty much. But Zack Snyder's movies are usually, they're always very well casted. Um, I very rarely have a, a problem with any of the casting in his movies. I think that they fit the characters uh, at least, at least again, when I see the trailers, I think that's a cool choice for that character. But then I watched the movie and I thought the character's written like crap. <laughs> <laughs> so you ruined what could have been a good opportunity for this. Like, as I'll get into that later, some of the other DC movies. But uh-huh. basically, so Watchmen I thought was really well casted. The, um, but there are a lot of artistic choices he makes in the movie that are very uh, cringeworthy as well. Okay. I was trying to think of another word, but like I, I roll my eyes when I watch the movie a lot because I'm like, okay, that's. Yeah, it's a Snyder thing. That's all I think to oh, myself. No. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I had my issues with that movie too. Now this one, I remember hearing about. I remember hearing or at least seeing a trailer for this back in when it came out in like 2010. I've never seen this movie. I probably have no reason to ever see it because the the title is stupid. And so the first thing that reminded me of this movie, it's first time he he did an animated movie. And I don't know if he did this like for his kids or something. Like why he took on this kind of role, especially after the last three movies that he's already done up to this point. But he did an animated movie in 2010 called this is a full title: Legend of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. Oh, I remember that one. Yeah. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was adapted from a book. So, again, we're getting back to the adaptive thing where it's not an original thing. But, um, yeah, I just remember seeing the trailer. I'm like, oh, it's a movie about CG owls or something. I don't know. It, it didn't interest me at all. I think it was okay. Hedwig's like, cool. Hedwig, yeah. <laughs> um, now, 2011 is interesting because this, and this is a movie that obviously your sister knows very well. <laughs> I've only seen it once or twice. I really need to give it another watch, give my full attention. A lot of times when I've seen it, I've either been watching bits and pieces on TV or... Like this is definitely the kind of movie that you can't just tr- you can't turn it on and be half like thirty minutes into the movie and watch it. You're not gonna understand the movie at all. Right. It's the kind of movie that you really just and I think that's the fault of the screenplay. I, I don't. I when I watched it a second time, I understood the screenplay more, but I still think it's just a messy. It's a messy movie. But in 2011, he made a movie called Sucker Punch, which was the only time he's ever had an original screenplay, an original concept. He, he the whole thing was his. The story, the screenplay, oh. it's all him, and he directed it. So this is Zack Snyder's baby. Okay. And for many reasons, that's a problem because, <laughs> and this is the only movie on this list that didn't, if you look at the Wikipedia, if you look at the list, Sucker Punch is the only movie out of his whole filmography that didn't turn a profit. Really? Yeah. Oh. Um, I mean, it wasn't. <laughs> they don't let him have his own movies anymore? Well, I think that really soured him from doing his own movies because he saw, obviously, that critics hated it. Most fans hated it. Um, and yeah, it didn't perform well in the box office. I think he just said, well, screw that. I'll go back to just adapting stuff. That's mm-hmm. what seems to be do well for me. But I'm not going to get into the details of Sucker Punch too much because, again, I don't, off the top of my head, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain the plot that well. Uh, I need to watch it again to have a fresher take on it. But I remember first time I watched it, I'm like, what the hell was that when it was over? I'm like, what was that? Like, and then I watched it again. I'm like, okay, I get it now. I get more of the character motivation and stuff. 
I still think it's... And again, the visuals in the movie are amazing. That's Snyder's trademark, for sure. That movie is made for trailers. Like the, mm. uh, but, yeah, it has a lot of issues, that movie. I understand why some people like it. I know your sister loves it. Mm-hmm. And she can try and defend it to me all she wants. <laughs> um, everybody's, everybody's allowed to have their guilty pleasure movie. I mean, everybody knows one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies that I can never shut up about is Smoke and Aces. Oh, and most yeah. people hate that movie. Yes, yeah, critics hated it. Most people have shown it to don't like it, but I love that movie. So everybody's mm-hmm. entitled to their own guilty pleasure. I got no problem with that, mm-hmm. but I still like it. <laughs> um, now, obviously, the big shift for him career wise came in 2013 when he, which baffles. What this, looking at this on paper baffles me to this point. How does DC Studios go to Zack Snyder and say, coming off of doing Legend of the Guardians, an owl movie, and Sucker Punch, which was terrible by most people's standards, how does he then get the reins of a Superman movie? Boggles my mind, but. He was allowed to do basically – they're basically they needed to reboot Superman because Superman's had a – of all the superheroes, let's leave Marvel out of it for now because everybody knows Marvel films are, are always amazing. They're just made well. Like they have, their, they have their formula down. They always cast well. They make money. But Superman, for whatever reason, has had a really rocky history with films going back the last like two or three decades. Like obviously the originals back in the 70s, the Christopher Reeve ones were awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, most of them. They got a little silly towards, I think Superman 4 was the worst. I don't think they made it. Yeah, Superman 4 I think was the last one that Reeve did. And then they kind of took a Superman break for a while. And then I think it was 05, they tried to reboot Superman and do like Superman Returns. Right. Which was, at the time, was like a no-name guy. It was Brandon Routh, who's mm-hmm. done some other stuff here and there since then. He's not like an A-lister type guy by any means. but And that was one where Kevin Spacey played Lex Luthor. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, that movie was bad. Um, <laughs> I don't like that movie at all. And again, after that point, they took a huge break. They'd take another basically eight-year break before they decided, wow. let's, bring, let's bring Superman back again. Oh, but when was Smallville? Was that in between? That was in between, break? I believe. Okay. Or maybe Smallville maybe even started before. I feel like Smallville was like oh four or three or four or something. So, so maybe I, around that same time when the Superman movie came out in the mid two thousands. But so I feel like that's the only good Superman thing that happened in that time. Probably. Yeah. Like well received, I should say. So anyway, so yeah, so in twenty thirteen, Snyder was allowed to make the new Superman movie Man of Steel. Um now again at the time I, I thought and 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 I do like Man of Steel a lot. I think it's a I think it's a really good Superman film. Um it's it's I mean it's sad to say it's probably one of the best DC films. I feel like DC doesn't have a, good, a strong track record <laughs> over the last ten years or so. But does like the Nolan films count as DC films? Yeah, I'll count them in there. But basically, like Man of Steel was like the start of DC's ex- what they call their DC extended universe. They were trying oh. to compete with Marvel because Marvel yeah, at the time was like, Avengers came out in 2012. So at that okay. point, Marvel's already established themselves as we have all these separate films. We're going to bring all these heroes together. We're going to make a ton of money. And DC's like, we want some of that. So let's <laughs> launch a new Superman movie and we'll make an extended DC universe. We'll start with Superman. Then we'll bring in, you know, like Aquaman and Wonder Woman and, and all these other DC superheroes, right? And recast Batman eventually. Yeah. So, but anyway, so Man of Steel, one, one of the things to do that, one of the few things to do like about the movie, again, I think the casting is amazing. I think you have, I think Henry Cavill was a great choice for Superman. I think he's a great Clark Kent. I think he's a great Superman. Um, he was sort of an unknown at the time. He was, yeah. he was definitely, uh, and nowadays, obviously, he's blown up ever since he did, you know, he was in Mission Impossible a couple years ago. He was in the Witcher series mm-hmm. on Netflix. He's done some other stuff. Um, but yeah, he's, he's definitely a household name now, but at the time, he wasn't. Although, he definitely looked the part. I mean, he was definitely, like, the biggest, strongest Superman that ever been on screen. Mm-hmm. You know, like, dude was just insanely jacked for this movie. Like, he, he makes, like, other superheroes you know like <laughs> christian bale looks small or like uh you know he's just a big dude imposing yeah. dude but 
but he's all that soft side to him. He can play the Clark Kent character mm-hmm. well, and, and you still sympathize with the human aspect of him. But anyways, and then they also did a good job casting like his dad. Uh, Jor-El was Russell Crowe in the movie. Did a great job right. playing the dad role. Uh, other than me, at least Superman's space dad, if you want to call him that. Because then obviously he had his right. Earth dad. For those that don't know the lore of Superman, obviously when his planet, when Krypton blows up or whatever, baby Superman gets sent down to Earth and then he lands on the farm and then uh, his, his parents... The, the Kent family, Martha, and who's the dad's name? Not Jonathan, is it? Jonathan Kent? I can't remember. Kevin Costner plays the, the Earth dad in the movie. But anyways, yeah, the casting was all And the villain, too. Michael Shannon playing the villain. Um, um, oh, my goodness. My General Zod. I'm trying yeah, to think okay, of the name. Yeah, yeah he, he plays a great villain, too. He's a great, he's, he's always good as a villain character. And he really kind of hams it up in this one a bit, but in a good way. But definitely you can tell, like, the tone. Like, when you see this, again, great trailer, as always with these films. But... Watching Man of Steel, <clears throat> um, you can definitely tell that DC, whether this was Snyder's decision or whether DC told him to do this, but they definitely went in a much darker direction compared to the Marvel films. Okay. Whereas Marvel has some humor sprinkled in. It's usually a lot lighter, a lot more colorful. Man of Steel was definitely darker, just darker visually. I think Snyder's that way, though. I think so, too. And, like, spoilers here for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, but at the end of Man of Steel, Superman, like, because the most superhero movies... Uh... You know, the villain gets defeated or captured or banished or whatever. But usually, but in this one, Superman just straight up uh, breaks Zod's neck. Just has him in like a chokehold thing and then cracks the neck. And that was that was fully Snyder's decision. Like behind the scenes, I remember watching them like filming and storyboarding this thing. And Snyder's just like, yeah, you're just going to like rip his neck in half or something. I thought that's how you should. I'm sure that's what everybody wanted. Right? And that, and that, that angered a lot of fans because yeah. one of Superman's things, and you can say this about Batman too, going back to the lore, but one of, definitely one of Superman's things is like Superman doesn't kill. Mm-hmm. At least not that way. Mm-hmm. Like if Superman kills, it's usually indirect. Like if he lasers something and a building falls on someone, okay. But like Superman's not gonna be going around snapping necks usually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that really ticked off a lot of the old school Superman fans. Mm-hmm. But that's not Snyder's thing, right? So, anyways, but Man of Steel definitely made a lot of money. It was profitable, for, and DC got their kicks. They got the kicks of their universe, and they thought, okay. So now, fast forward a few years. In 2016, you have Batman v. Full title is Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. I don't think I needed the stupid subtitle. It was called <laughs> the Batman v Superman, but whatever. Now in this case they cast they cast Ben Affleck as Batman slash Bruce Wayne which I, which I kind of thought which I kind of thought was really good casting so I thought he I thought he played a better Bruce Wayne than he did a Batman but that's not his fault like and he definitely got in good shape for this role like um Affleck Affleck looked the part um now the thing about this movie that makes me laugh Batman v Superman I think it's probably close to three hours maybe just under three hours Snyder films tend to go a little long like I think it started that way with Watchmen Watchmen was definitely like two and a half maybe a bit more than that. Um, Sucker Punch wasn't as long, maybe a couple hours, but like Man of Steel, I think was close to probably two and a half hours. <clears throat> Batman v Superman got there almost up to three hours, and I think there was actually an extended cut that might have gone past <laughs> that. But his movies tend to get dragged out a bit. <clears throat> now, for for a movie called Batman v Superman, I think the whole Batman Superman fight lasts a total of like four minutes over like almost a three hour film. Uh, the only so... thing I remember from the film was Martha. <laughs> yeah, we're not gonna get into the whole Martha things. We could, yeah, but this movie has a lot of problems. Um, and the one, this, the one rare time I think where they got the casting wrong, very wrong in this case, was when they cast, um, for so Lex Luthor's not in this film. He basically have like Lex Luthor's son, which which is a part oh. of the lore. There, there is a Lex Luthor Junior in the lore, but in this case they cast Lex Luthor's son as Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Who for those who don't know, like The Social Network or Zombie Land or whatever other yeah. movies you want to associate him with, but he was terrible in this movie, yeah. and I think. 
I don't know if it was his choice to act the way he did or if Snyder... To, if, I swear, if Snyder told him to act this way, and I can't imagine that being the case, then Snyder is 100% to blame for this movie being terrible. <laughs> but every time Eisenberg is on scene, it just, everything gets dragged down. Like, his interactions with, with Superman or Clark or Clark Kent are just terrible. Um, yeah, it's just... it's He's a terrible villain. It drags the movie down. Um, but yeah, and when the Batman when Batman and Superman actually do fight for the four minutes, it's pretty cool. It's shot well, but again, but here, it comes back to my problem with with Superman in general. And it's not, this isn't a Snyder problem; it's a problem with the character. And I think I think it's probably part of the reason why it's so hard to do a good Superman movie is because most superheroes have an obvious weakness, or they're human. You know, like like you have like a Batman who's just like human, right? Or then you have people like Wonder Woman who are or Captain Marvel or something that are actually like super like super mm-hmm. ter- or extra ter- extraterrestrials or whatever, right? Basically, but or gods. But like um, Superman's problem is the. Pro- trying to think of how to phrase this the problem with writing superman how, how does somebody defeat superman it always comes back to kryptonite yeah and, and it's such a lazy plot device because it's always going to be like in this case in batman v superman batman basically uh calls up three doors down well he he what oh <laughs> i get the reference <laughs> i didn't get that Jeez. at first but <laughs> so bruce wayne basically like finds a huge piece of kryptonite rock somewhere in an ocean somewhere and he gets it brought back to like Wayne Labs or, or you know his back cave or whatever right and he weaponizes it into a gas a gas aerosol basically so when he fights Superman he realizes he's gonna get his ass kicked because he's Batman he's freaking Superman mm-hmm. he just like sprays him in the face now Superman's all weak and human and Batman kicked kick crap out of him until apparently the kryptonite wears off or the thing the gas thing wears off and Superman's just back to kicking butt again I'm like well there's, <laughs> there's no stakes of the fight then like, you know neither we're gonna die and then and then it gets really cheesy because then they kind of shoehorn Wonder Woman into this movie too and the three of them all kind of like join together at the end and, and fight right. The one villain who I can't remember his name anymore. Just looks like a big CGI monster yeah. dude. What the hell is his name? Again, it's how forgettable the movie is. But <laughs> it, it had to, the movie is just terribly paced all around. It had a couple of good scenes in there, but yeah, it was a disaster. Although it made money, so DC was still happy. Mm. Now here's where it gets interesting and a little tragic for Snyder. Like yes. I, I, as much as I want to berate Snyder's um, choices when it comes to screenplay or characterization and stuff. Like I said, I do like him as a visual director. I think his movies can can be entertaining in the right light. I have nothing against him as a person. Now, in 2017, um, it's obviously a quick turnaround because 2016 was Batman v Superman. The very next year, DC's like, okay, we got to get this Justice League thing going because mm-hmm. like Avengers are making so much money. We want to do that. Now, but here's the main problem, and we can do a whole podcast on this, but I'm going to touch on it briefly. Here's why the, You know why the Marvel, Marvel films are successful in DC isn't? Because Marvel took their time to build up their roster. Like, first off, Mar- most Marvel characters were well-known just by name. Like, yeah. People knew who Iron Man was. No, People know Iron Man. People know Spider-Man. People I knew... didn't know Black Widow, though. No, some of, them, yeah, some of them you didn't, but for the most but part. But they did like build Hulk them up. Or, or, yeah, they each had their own films. Black Widow pending, but yeah. Right. <laughs> Whereas DC, they rushed it, and they had to shoehorn... So like, Justice League is a prime example where they have to shoehorn all these people in. So you had, like, obviously people know who Batman is. People, for the most part, know who Superman is, obviously. Uh, and Wonder Woman did get her own film prior to this. She was the only one. But then they all, for this film, they decided to shoehorn in The Flash, who didn't have his own... He had the TV show, but that was a different mm, actor for The Flash. Right. So for most people, didn't know what The Flash was, really, or Cyborg. Um, Teen uh, Aquaman did get his own movie, although it was very... Was it? That was later on, wasn't it? I was going to say, was it Aquaman come out after Justice League? I don't know. I can't remember. But anyways... Okay, so Justice League basically was a disaster for many reasons. There was ton, there was tons of reshoots. The studio hated. <gasps> Is that the Henry Cavill mustache one? We're gonna get into that. Oh, good. But okay. just so Justice League had a ton of problems. Now, number one, so apparently 
like I said, so Snyder still had the reins for Justice League, probably because they just figured, you know, you've already done, you already know the Superman character from the last two films, mm. obviously, and, and obviously you did you're Batman. You're making money. You're making money for it still, but they weren't happy with how, like, like, I think DC still wanted their movies to be liked and respected, and they knew most people hated Batman v Superman, including the critics. So mm. they were starting to get a little wary about Snyder, and they were just like, maybe you need a little more help with the writing or a little more help behind the scenes with collaborating. So... There was just a whole lot of studio meddling going on with Justice League and a bunch of rewrites and reshoots had to be done. And obviously actors hate having to coming back and having to do yeah. all these. And, and like you, one of the things you touched on that was a huge problem was like Superman had already pretty much, Henry Cavill had already pretty much filmed most of his scenes in the movie for Superman. And by that point, he'd already moved on to do Mission Impossible Fallout, yes. which was already filming or had almost wrapped filming. Now for Mission Impossible Fallout, Cavill had to grow a, a sick mustache. Yeah. Like, it's an amazing mustache. And it's all it's all him. It ain't, it ain't <laughs> no like glued on prosthetic thing. He grew out this beautiful mustache. Be jealous. Right. Now, when they had to go back and do reshoots for Justice League, they're like, Henry, you got to shave the mustache. And he's like, I can't. Like, I'm, I'm contractually obligated with Paramount for Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible actually did say, I think, to DC, like, um, to DC Studios, like, we'll let, we'll let you, we'll let him shave it. We'll, we'll postpone um, filming for a little while. But you guys are going to have to pay us, obviously, for all the time we're taking off from Mission mm-hmm. Impossible. And DC basically said no. So <laughs> Mission Impossible's like, well, screw you. He's keeping the mustache yeah. then. So DC's solution to it was, I just CGI it out. Yes. So you know, go look very closely. Yeah, if you're watching, <laughs> if you watch the current Justice League film, because it's going to get replaced soon, we'll touch on that in a bit. But the current Justice League film that's available, it's out there in circulation or whatever. Yeah, if you look at um, Superman or Clark Kent in the films, look at his upper <laughs> lip, and it's going to look a little unnatural <laughs> because they did their best to try and CGI out and try to match the color of like his skin tone or whatever, yeah. but it definitely looks off. Yeah, what, you know, so. That's hilarious. That was one of the things that was circulating when the movie came out, yeah. a little scandal, but it was funny. <laughs> but all in all, the movie, so so unfortunately, this is where the tragedy comes in. So Zack Snyder, who was already having many problems filming this movie and all the meddling of the studio behind the scene, um, at some point during filming, um, his daughter committed suicide. So, I mean, as, as any parent would do, he, he bowed out from the movie. He's mm-hmm. like, I have other priorities right now. I'll take care of my family. So DC brought in uh, Joss Whedon to do rewrites and reshoots. Joss Whedon... Uh, at the time, Joss Whedon lately, it's funny we're doing this podcast now, but Joss Whedon lately has gotten a lot of, uh, he, he's sort of now part of the, the Me Too thing. Oh, where is people, he? Like people from the, he, he did the Buffy TV show back yeah, in the day. Yeah, I remember that. And people from Buffy are coming out against him oh, and saying no. how inappropriate he was. That. And he's, there's been rumors for years he's always been a bit of a jerk. But now it's coming, like some really bad stuff coming out about him. And now he's, he's, I'm pretty sure he's the next one to get blacklisted from Hollywood. But at the time, he was still well-known. He he, had, he did Avengers. He did Avengers Age of Ultron. So he had experience with Marvel. Okay. So DC thought, well, we'll bring him in and maybe he can fix Justice League. So he did like 80 pages of rewrites. Oh, my God. He, he read, like, the funny thing is, like I remember when Justice League originally came out and Snyder saw it. And Snyder said they kept maybe 25% of my stuff in there. And they, really? they, did, they, they threw up most of the stuff and just kind of redid it from the ground up. Wow. And someone else who collaborated with Whedon said, actually, it's probably closer to like 10% of what we kept as Snyder's stuff. Oh, my gosh. So really, it was not Snyder's. Even though his name was attached to it, because that's just how the Director's Guild rules sort of work. Snyder still had to be uh, attached to it, but it wasn't really his film. Okay. Now, Justice League bombed hard. It was critically hated. Fans hated it. So many problems. I mean, yeah, just bad movie all around. So for... Last couple of years, the rumor has been out there that obviously Snyder's footage, everything he'd filmed that was thrown out or discarded, was all still available. It had all been saved or just digital. You know, it's all digital somewhere. So someone, everybody for years, have been for the last couple of years, have been saying like, "Release the Snyder cut. We want the Snyder cut." Because believe it, believe it or not, he has a huge, passionate fan base. People do love Snyder films. Mm-hmm. He, and again, for like I said, I respect 
I like his films for a certain reason. Some, if people like his films for the reasons that I don't like them for, I don't understand that. <laughs> but if you want to just be like, hey, everybody's entitled to their opinion, right? But I'm just saying, if you're like, don't you dare try and tell me that Snyder can compete with any of the other top directors out there nowadays. He's not. He can't. He can't hold the candle to Nolan. He's not going to hold the candle to. Like, I'm comparing people to do like superhero films yeah. and like big budget. I'm not comparing him to like a Scorsese or Tarantino no, or anything. Else, different styles, but. Yeah, he's not anywhere close to that like a Nolan or a um, who else has done like superhero stuff? Who does yeah, like, like like ones? like the Russo brothers and yeah, stuff exactly. like that? Yeah, but no, yeah, but Snyder is a good director who has a very specific style. I've already mentioned that. I feel like I'm just circling the wagons here, but yeah. basically, okay. So Snyder cut. People wanted the Snyder cut. So it's finally happened. HBO, uh, HBO Max, who now has the Warner Brothers stuff, obviously on file this year because of everything going on with COVID. HBO Max says, we have the Snyder Cut. We're going to put it out. I believe it's in April. I don't remember the exact date, but in April, they're going to release the Snyder Cut. And it's a glorious four hours long. Yeah. Four hours. For for comparison, the original Justice League was two hours. So we have literally double the length. And obviously, it's going to be like completely different from what you from what the other movie was. Because obviously, it's... Literally. Yeah. Like some... some char- yeah. I'm sure some characterization will still be the same, but for the most part, it'll be a completely different film. So I am mildly curious to actually see how it turns out. Too bad you don't have HBO Max. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get it at some point. But yeah, so I'm curious to see. Um, I don't think it's going to magically make Justice League a good movie. Because again, I don't think, and again, especially if Snyder, from what we know of his past, if he wrote and directed most of the stuff, obviously um, I, I have my issues obviously with his storytelling. So I don't think Justice League is going to be amazing all of a sudden. But I imagine it probably be better than what the original concept was that came out a few years ago. So, um, yeah. And for those that don't know, they released a trailer and how they've, <laughs> this is where it gets weird. So as part of Snyder's reshoots, he, he filmed some footage with Jared Leto as the Joker. Oh, right. Because Jared Leto played the Joker in Suicide oh, Squad. Yeah. Which was not done by Snyder. That was done by a different director. But he wanted to bring Joker in to have like this little fantasy flashback sequence thing with Batman. So Leto was probably only in the film for a couple of minutes. But it's curious to see. Was that the picture you showed me the other day, or is yeah. that different? Oh my gosh! Okay. Like he looks more, like, he looks more like the Heath Ledger Joker than he does like the than the way Leto looked in Suicide Squad. He different, looks like neither. He has long hair. He's wearing like the. Who does he look like? What, Marilyn Manson. Yes. Are you saying? Okay. It looks like Marilyn Manson. It's another bad comparison to make lately. He's also in trouble for the allegations lately. But Jeez, who isn't nowadays? And finally, to cap things off quickly on Snyder's filmography here, he does have a, a movie coming out on Netflix later this year that's already wrapped filming. Uh, it's called Army of the Dead. So again, kind of zombies. Yes. Exactly. I was just going to say, it's funny. He's going, full, so he's going back to his originally where he did Dawn of the Dead. Now, at least this one, Army of the Dead, I believe this is more of an original concept for him. This okay. isn't based on, he's not doing a remake or any other kind of. And I think the, with Netflix, you can do that, though. Yeah. And the funny thing I think about this, and it actually has a decent cast, which, again, shouldn't surprise me. He always has good cast in his films. But um, I remember when I saw the concept for Army of the Dead, what made me laugh was it takes place in Vegas. There's a zombie outbreak in Vegas. And it basically, there's a team of people trying to pull off a heist. And so I'm trying to imagine. So you have like a hot, you have a bunch of criminals trying to pull off a heist in Vegas, and they're going to run into a bunch of zombies. Nice. Like it's kind of an interesting concept. Yeah, it's I, different. I guess, I guess it's kind it. of like clashing two genres yeah, together. Yeah. But so I'm, I am curious cool. actually how that plays out. But yeah, that's in, in a long shot. That's uh, yeah. Like I said, I he's a very polarizing director because he has a very passionate fan base. Um, but I feel like his and his name is recognizable. Most people have heard of his name or can at least associate one or two titles with mm-hmm. his name. But again, I don't think he's highly regarded as one of the top directors out there. He's just a name you know because he's gotten some big 
big movies to work on. And if you're like me, you think of him visually as being an amazing storyteller. Um, but I don't think his movies are particularly strong from a narrative standpoint, from a character standpoint. And um, yeah, I just, you know, and that's fine because not everybody's going to be a Tarantino or a Scorsese or a Christopher Nolan or anybody who just seems to keep churning out movies every few years without fail, like one hit after another. Everybody's got their niche. Yeah, every, exactly, right? I mean... Snyder's been able to do this, like I said, for over 15 years now. He's made some good films, some not-so-good films, but um, hopefully he still has a few more good ones left in him. Like I said, if if, uh, if the new Justice League one turns out good, which it could be by all accounts, then I have to, I have to imagine he's probably done with DC after this. So I don't think he wants anything yeah. to do with superheroes anymore, with all the and, I, and sure. I wouldn't blame him. Uh, if he wants to go back to doing the zombie movies or yeah. if he wants to do a Sucker Punch sequel, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I but, don't think there's room for a sequel. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, that's basically what I got to say about Zack Snyder. So, hope you learned something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did learn a lot for sure. I didn't. I forgot most of the stuff actually that mm-hmm. he made a lot of those movies. So, I don't know. I like when you talk about directors, and I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like, what I what I find interesting though is and to make it really quick, and I'm gonna wrap this up here. But like like I said, he started out doing some very interesting. Again, all the stuff he did was basically adapted or or taken from other source material. But at least he started out with some interesting concepts, like going from. Dawn of the Dead to 300 to Watchmen to even Sucker Punch, which had its own style. But then once you start doing the superhero stuff, you just feel them like dying inside. And I feel like that's what superhero. Like, there's the same reason why Christopher Nolan said he never wants to do superheroes ever again. He he had his run with the Batman films, but he's like, I want. I, he's like, I have my own original ideas, and I want to. But it's it's a springboard, right? Like Nolan doing the Batman films allowed him the creativity with Warner Brothers to just go off and do whatever he wanted. Yeah, they throw money they, at They him basically like write him a blank check. Yeah. Do whatever you want because you made us billions with Batman. Well, with DC, like DC is going to look at Snyder and say, you've made us a ton of money on the Superman films. Okay, and, bye. Yeah, like we'll we'll give you creative authority for a new project. But I feel like at this point, Snyder's like, I'm done with superhero stuff, you know, and I can't blame him. So. Yeah, it's just such a claustrophobic, I would say, kind of mm-hmm. doing those movies. Like you're not allowed to have creative freedom where like a director... That's in their blood. So I yeah. think they just kind of want to break, eventually break free and be like, I have been stuck in this tunnel and I need to eventually find the end and get it. But again, I feel, like there's, I feel like there's that niche there for Snyder. But now obviously Snyder, like I said, he likes to do, he, he does like to produce or write a lot of his own stuff. But I feel like someone needs to just say to Zach, like, dude, you're awesome at visuals. Mm. Why don't we get someone to write you an awesome screenplay? Yeah. You storyboard it for us. You film it. I think that would be the best of both worlds. If he has someone else write a really good screenplay for him. Um, like he can come up with the concept. Right. Like come up with the story. It, but yeah, don't let, him, don't let him write the stuff. Let someone else write it. That's fine. And yeah, I think that could be the best of both worlds. And maybe he does have a future now. I mean, like I said, if like obviously with Justice League being on HBO Max now, with Army of the Dead being on Netflix, maybe he just transitions, as most directors do now, to transition away from big budget films and go more mm-hmm. towards the streaming content and the smaller projects, you know. So... What who directed Sixth Sense? I always forget his name. M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, isn't yeah. he like a Netflix kind of smaller director now too? Yeah. Kind of I think like he's an Apple, direction. I think he's an Apple TV guy now. Actually, oh, okay. I don't well, think he's. I don't think I mean, he's. Yeah. Well, yeah, but he's he's on he's on streaming contents now. Yeah, he's he's not really doing the big Hollywood movies yeah, anymore. So it's kind of the same direction. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, so uh, you want to show show the email again? When opposites react at gmail.com. Tell us your favorite Zack Snyder movie, or even if even if you've seen any of these, if you're going to subscribe to HBO Max to watch the Snyder Cut and spend four hours of your life, maybe that you won't get back. We don't know yet. But yeah. I think you got to be morbidly curious. I mean, four hours of Justice League, which is all mostly uh, never before seen footage. I'm curious. 
Uh, but I wouldn't have high expectations. It would be amazing. <laughs> I'd rather go watch Lord of the Rings Extended Cut, but that's just me. Okay. I'm not morbidly curious. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, we'll wrap this up. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you enjoyed, hope you enjoyed the podcast. And uh, be back same time next week. Bye.